Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley and welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. Today we have David Ditchfield, and David was um, was a laborer, you know, and uh, just had a great life going on, and ended up in a horrific accident where he fell underneath the train, basically died, and when he came back, he's an artist, composer, and author with no training at all, and I'm going to welcome David to the show to tell us his story. Welcome to the show, David, and thanks for being here. This is a fascinating story, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be chatting with you. Um, So what happened? I mean, you're just living your life, Mm. and what happened? Well, um, as you pointed out, yeah, I was was a a manual laborer. Uh, I'd left school without much qualification, so I was struggling to be able to make money and that's how I was picking up work um uh, I wasn't too great at that kind of work either to be honest with you you know the guys <laughs> around me were a lot more skilled at it and uh, yeah. so it was it was hit and miss whether I get get the job or not each day so I, I was down on my look I, I'd run out of money and, mm. uh, and I was about to lose my apartment and so life was getting pretty tough for me and um uh, my, my sister had turned around and said, look, she lived with her family, a young family out in Cambridge, uh, out in the countryside. So come and stay with us for a few weeks. And so I did. So it was when I was up there um, and hanging out with her family that I, well, I'd met somebody just a couple of weeks before that, uh, who I disconnected with in, in London and uh, uh, who's called Anna. And we just kind of got this connection. And Anna kept in touch and she was texting me and said, why don't I come and visit you? I said, that'd be great. So she came up for a few days and we had a really lovely time together and she got to go back to London. So I took Anna to the, to the rail station to see her off. And I, I gave her a hug and a kiss and helped her with her bags onto the carriage or onto the car, as, as you would say. And, um, and then I, just as I was, Doing that, we we were just saying goodbye, and then we heard the buzzers go, the emergency buzzers for the doors to close, mm-hmm. and my coat got trapped in the automatic closing doors of that, oh my that God. train. Yeah, and <laughs> it's I was wearing like this, a, a quality sheepskin coat that day because it was a very cold February day, and mm-hmm. uh, as lovely as that was, that coat it was it was uh, trapped. You wouldn't tear. There was yeah. Else, yeah, there was no way <laughs> I was going to pull it out. Yeah. And uh, I, I turned, looked for a guard, and there was no one on the platform. So I just yelled at the top of my voice for help. Started mm-hmm. sort of banging on the windows, of hoping that somebody might run through the, 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 the car of, of the train. Um, but nobody turned up. I have to ask a really stupid question. You didn't think sure. of taking the coat off. <laughs> no, don't you worry. It's been asked constantly. And it, it was even suggested to me by the one and only other person on that platform who was also seeing off his girlfriend. And uh, he just shouted at me. He said, you know, take your coat off, mate. Take it off. But yeah, because it was sheepskin, uh, there was no lining on the actual sleeves. And I was wearing like a sweater underneath. And, and it, I just knew that, that it would not 
just slide out of the arms, yeah. if you like. And I, I, I knew I'd only got moments to be able to uh, react to this. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't have taken it off. There's no way yeah. uh, it would have come off. So, um, yeah. And in all fairness, the whole thing started to unfold very fast as well, you know, because uh, once those doors had closed, um, you know, the, the train was already starting to rev up and oh was about God. to leave yeah. the station. And so, um, and nobody pulled that emergency cord, huh? No, well, this is it. Um, uh, it's interesting because, um, in the UK, up until that point, in fact, since my accident, there's there's been five or six major points have been uh, adjusted in the UK for safety measures since my accident. And one of those was that they had too many. Yeah, yeah, because of it. Well, there you Um, go. (laughs) Yeah, I know. There's positives in in everything, isn't there? Right. And, uh, And basically, my friend Anna, she's not that tall, but not, so she, it would have been hard for her to reach the, the, mm-hmm. the levers. But not only that, there were, there were a few several levers with all these uh, warning signs over the top saying, do not pull this lever. If you pull this, you'll get fined 100, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. And, right. then, yeah, and yeah. it was just in a state of shock. You haven't got time to take all that in. Right. So she was just trying, she just uh, looked around and, um, and was calling for help herself. And at that point, the the train started to pull out the station and um, and I just saw the look of terror in her eyes through the, through the glass because um, oh, you know, yeah. the poor soul had to watch the whole thing un- unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just knew at that point that I, I probably was not going to survive this. I thought, I'm, this is it, I'm going to die, you know. Um, but I went into fight or flight mode, as it were, you know, and I yeah. decided to fight, as it were. So... Uh, Time kind of stretched. It was just I, I felt like I got time to think this through, even though That's I was terrified. That's what they always say about a near-death experience. Time expands, I hear. That's it, yeah. yeah. It, 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 it expands. It doesn't slow down. It's not like slow motion, but you've got time to think it through. And I know this because uh, when the rail police did a, the, a huge inquiry on the whole thing afterwards, I asked them how long it took from the moment uh, – I got pulled out and then under, under the train itself, and it was like 13 and a half seconds, which oh. doesn't seem long, but that's, you know, <laughs> it, for me, that felt like minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually decided to relax. I'd seen a news item about, you know, three or four weeks before where a, a, a small child had been thrown from a, a burning apartment block from the third story and had survived without any injuries. And they put that down to the fact that infants are relaxed and so they don't tense yeah. up like us adults when we go into shock. So uh-huh. I thought that's my that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to relax. So I relaxed my whole body. That's pretty amazing, so, right there. That you could relax. Well, I had I I thought that's my only option. Yeah. I've got nothing else I could do. I, it was clear I wasn't going to pull the coat free. And yeah. I, I lost my footing. I ran with the train. And I lost my footing. Part of me hoped that the the the, the sheer force of uh, my body weight against that speeding train would release me, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. And I got dragged along the platform. Then I got sucked between the the platform edge and then I got pulled underneath the the, the train wheels and under I went. And that was a moment of um, sheer terror. You know, it was like being thrown into like a dark machine and and thrown around, you know, full spin. And uh, it was, um, yeah, yeah, it was terrifying. So you were conscious um, way too long. <laughs> throughout way the whole, yeah, I didn't. I was conscious all the time throughout the whole ordeal. Um, oh maybe that's because I went into fight. If I'd gone into flight, I probably would have uh, lost consciousness. You know, mm-hmm. so, uh, so that was it. 
Um, but I remember just being thrown around relentlessly and it was a very violent experience and very painful, of course. And, um, and then suddenly I was thrown to the ground in between the, the tracks of the trainers. It was still speeding ahead over me. Uh, when I say over me, I mean above me, I should say. Right. And, uh, and so I just knew that it still wasn't over at that point. I thought I, I could get hit by part of the undercarriage. So I, again, I went into this thought process of thinking, well, think of the, the 007 James Bond movies or the Indiana Jones. <laughs> what would he do now? Yeah. He would keep his head down. So I kept my nose right in the gravel. And, uh, and then the train eventually passed on and disappeared off down the track. Yeah. <laughs> so it finally let go of you, basically. Yeah. 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 It finally yeah, it just uh, threw me around like a ragdoll relentlessly and yeah. then threw me down in between, in between the tracks, which was a miracle that I landed there and, and not right. No code. At that itself. point, the code had ripped or the code was not on you? Oh, that was, well, when, by the time that that train had gone on, you know, I, I looked to assess my the damage, as it were, you know, and I, yeah. I, I, the left-hand side of the coat had been completely shredded to pieces. Okay. Yeah, and so, so yeah. at my arm as well, my arm had been shredded right open and, um, <sighs> and, uh, and had been cut actually from, from the elbow down, uh, cut open, so uh, cut off, off almost, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so... It was, but you it were was, still uh, conscious. I mean, you're, you're mm. telling me, you know, how badly hurt you were looking at yourself. I mean, you were still yeah. conscious. That's a terrible thing conscious, to be yeah. conscious into that. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 It, it it totally was. But there's also the the the, the sense of euphoria that you've survived it. You know, mm. it's you, you you I can understand now why people do things like bungee jumping because it's it's that's what they're doing. There's there's they're simulating what I've just been through, which is like. You know, wow. the bungee jump is like telling the body and the mind that you're about to die and then you survive it. And I mean, not, not that I'd ever want to do any, I mean, I wouldn't even want to go on a roller coaster now. You know what I mean? I wouldn't right. even, any, any high energy ride or what have you. No, thank you. I've been there and done it. But mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is that as horrible as it is that you do get this sense of um, like a, a not like an adrenaline rush, if you like. I mean, I was right. I was really shaken and, and, and in pain and really frightened, but I, I felt this sense of, wow, I'm alive, I've survived. And I just remember looking up at the sky, actually, and seeing this beautiful, pure blue sky. And I was very much in touch, uh, in touch with nature immediately. I loved the sky. I loved the earth around me. Wow. And I felt very, very much at peace because I thought, wow. Yeah. Look at this beautiful planet, <laughs> you know, because it just felt so good to have survived. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll tell so. you, I'll never bring it to the edge, including bungee jumping, jumping out of a plane, any of those things. So I, when I feel that, I'm hoping I'm on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, yes, indeed. Yeah. So what happened from there? Yeah, so the paramedics arrived pretty quick because it was a small hospital around the corner and they, they jumped on the track and started cutting through all my clothing and, uh, you know, they started to, like, try and fix me up and get me on a stretcher. And then I was they, – they got me into an ambulance, goodness knows how, because it's like a huge drop, as you all know, you know, down to mm-hmm. the, the platform edge. And uh, anyhow, they got me in the ambulance and the, the doctor in the back said, look, you're in pretty bad shape. Um, there's a small hospital around the – in the corner but the one that's really going to save you is like a 25 minute drive can you do that and i said yeah let's mm-hmm. let's go 
So the siren went off and we just took off like a rocket down the highway. And we arrived in the hospital and there was a whole uh, sort of team of medics all waiting there and like, and, and I saw them there uh, for, Oh, wow, this looks pretty serious. You know, and now we got in and, uh, it was. I, I knew that it still wasn't all over because I was losing so much blood by that point, and I could hear the terror in their voices. I could hear they were very frightened, uh, even though I didn't understand a word of it because it was all science, you know, going above me. Mm-hmm. And um, my family arrived. They were there really quite quick. You know, they they got called by the emergency services, and so they they were there. And um, and also Anna, who I'd been seeing off. So I remember seeing them all there, and then they came in, and my mum was in tears and stuff and uh so they arrived was, when you arrived huh well anna poor anna oh, was no. on a train well she believed that i that, that i she saw me go under she ran through the carriage and looked through the window and, and saw me go under and oh. she actually said to me afterwards she said it was, she said david this might sound weird and but when you went under you rolled under with such grace <laughs> i said <laughs> i know and i explained why but yeah she figured I, I was dead and, and she ran yeah. through the train trying to call the guard and then they, they found one eventually and stopped in the middle of the countryside. Mm-hmm. And um, she said to me that um, she turned around to the carriage as they were, they were in this silent carriage. It was full of commuters because it was commuter time. Right. And she said, my friend's just gone under a train. Can we all say a prayer for him? And then a, a woman stepped forward and said, look, I'm a Christian. Would you like me to take the prayers? And she said, yes, please. And she wow. said it was amazing. They all lowered their laptops and uh, their newspapers and everybody prayed. And wow. It was a very moving moment. And I, yeah. felt, I felt the energy, you know. I felt those prayers. I'm very much a, a firm believer in of the, the, you know, the power of prayer now. I am uh, now. Since that point. <laughs> yeah, no, it works. Yeah. It really does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what a presence of mind on her side to even hold it together enough to say, please pray. Please I know, come yeah, together and pray. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when she was there in the hospital, so I, I just wanted to speak to her because we just both been through this together, and I was worried for her. So mm. she came over and she was just shaking her head oh, sideways yeah. and going, "I can't believe you're alive. I thought you were dead." They announced it over the over the uh, the PA system at the next station that there'd been a fatality. So she oh, assumed God. that was it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so. Uh, so you made it to the hospital, and they patched yeah. you. <laughs> well, they tried to patch me up. They they were getting me ready to go straight into theatre, actually, and uh, it was uh, it was pretty much at that point where. For my American I friends, I have to say, you were going into an operating room, theatre. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm learning all the time. I try to get my 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 mid Atlantic right <laughs> words in, yeah. into play. You know, yeah. I know that you know that's the. You know, that's the ER department and not A&E as we have here. Right. So, yeah. Right. But yeah, okay. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you were conscious the entire time, in right up to going into the operating room where they put you out? Yes. I didn't lose my conscience. Uh, so I was conscious, yeah. And uh, it, was, it was just before that point that I, that I actually uh, left my body and had, mm-hmm. had my near-death experience. So it's just And tell me about that. Yeah, sure. Well, I went from all the pain and all the anxiety within the hospital itself, and then suddenly I was in a, what seemed like a, a lovely darkened space. Uh, it didn't feel threatening or foreboding. It just felt very calm and relaxing. And uh, I looked around me, and I, and I felt like I'd been greeted by these lovely pulsating colours of light. There are like orbs 
that was slowly pulsating all around me. Mm. So I figured pretty much straight away, I thought, okay, I didn't make it. So this, so I, this is it. Now, now I am dead. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't resist it. Uh, you know, I, I didn't sort of freak out and, and think, no, I want to go back. Um, um, I, it's not like I wanted to die. You know, my life wasn't going that bad. But it, <laughs> from what I'd just been through, it was just it was just such a beautiful relief to be in this beautiful, you know, calm space. And um, I, I looked around to get my bearings and I realized that I was laid on what appeared to be a large slate rock. It was like a big medieval altar is the best way I describe it to people. And, um, but it felt really comfortable to lay on despite the fact that I realized I was no longer clothed either. And, um, and I looked and I, I, I was covered in this blue satin sort of sheet, which felt very comforting to have that over me. And, um, and I looked at all my, to, at my body to check my wounds and everything was in place. Nothing, there wasn't, wasn't even a single scratch or, or scar or, or bruise. Mm. Everything just looked fine. So that was very reassuring. And, and uh, as I, I looked at the sheet and it was like white light that was, that was sort of reflecting off this satin. And so I looked up and there were like three grids of white light that were closing in above me. So I laid my head back and looked up into those grids and as I looked into this light, as, as intensely bright as it was, I was able to look without losing my gaze, my gaze, my gaze even. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, and so, um, because I felt that this light was healing me, it was a beautiful light, and I just couldn't take my my look away from it. And uh, so, I lay back and just kind of bathed in this light, feeling comforted from it. Then I felt the presence of somebody near. I felt there was somebody who was suddenly there next to me. So I lifted my head and there was. There was a person just stood at my feet, uh, an androgynous being, uh, wearing like a very simple contemporary black T-shirt with this pure sort of white blonde hair and um, and a, a, a lovely calming smile and an expression that made me feel safe but also a face that I felt familiar with. I felt like I'd known this person throughout the whole of my life and beyond, but I couldn't figure who it was. So I said, who are you? I know you, don't I? But this person said nothing and just kept smiling back at me. And, uh, but I felt, as I say, I felt comforted in the fact and the knowledge that this person was, was guarding me almost, you know, guarding my soul. So I laid back and decided to just, enjoy all this lovely energy that was coming through me and um as time went on i felt the presence of somebody else uh, uh around so i looked and there was in fact there were two people uh, in female form this time study the side of me um one of them was was uh white cohesion sort of european looking with long brown hair again wearing a simple brown dress and so they whereas- were contemporary dressed yeah, contra- I mean, no yeah, robes, <laughs> no robes or anything too ethereal yeah, that you yeah. might assume. Although the, the the girl to my left was wearing something which was, which was slightly more uh, unusual uh, yeah. because she was of um, American Indian or Asian Indian in appearance, or wow. Brazilian maybe, you know, and uh, and so she was wearing a dress that was far probably more like a tra- traditional sort of dress, mm-hmm. if you like, and that was different. And that was like a cream sort of text. Uh, text Did you feel you know. like you knew them all, all these people, or just I one? I felt like I knew the first one, yeah, for yeah. sure, but not the other two. I felt the other two were basically there, that, and they basically got their hands 
the other two got their hands going over my body uh, slowly and, and they were sending energy through from their hands throughout. It felt like they were healing, you know, the trauma that I'd just been through, healing my body, but also they felt like they were healing my soul, you know, and uh-huh. all, the, and all the wounds that my soul had taken, the batterings over the year, like all of us, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that, I figured that was their role to basically heal me. Um, so at that and- point, I st- Go on to get yeah, is there any chance, because, you know, the skeptics are going to ask this, is there any mm. chance that they were the people who were working on you? You know, the nurses and the doctors. Well, um, actually, no, because um, they wouldn't, res- physically, they didn't resemble that. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the male doctor who was in charge of me, he, he, he certainly didn't have pure white blonde hair and he certainly wasn't androgynous right he was very (laughs) much male and and the other two doctors who were working on me were both uh male also they were Mm -hmm. i remember seeing them there because there was no chance of it yeah yeah so there was no chance of that yeah yeah and i have to ask what the skeptics are oh do do please i'm i'm more happy to to answer questions about that because that's what it's all about you know i'm not here just to say hey you know this is what happened i i I want to be able to try and answer questions like that because it's Mm -hmm. important yeah good 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 so anyway you as you went through this experience what happened next yeah well i started to um consider my family because i they were pretty torn up obviously back in the hospital by what they just witnessed and what they've just been through and i thought well clearly i'm dead now and they're going to be really upset and, and cut up so i thought i'd try and see if i could find them so i i lifted my body and kind of raised myself over the edge of this huge rock to see if i could see and when i looked down i i didn't I didn't actually see the hospital at all or, or my body down there. Um, but what I did see was this remarkable sight. It was like, a, it was like a huge waterfall of stars. It was like, it was like an, a, an awesome view. It was, it was like the size of Niagara, for, Niagara Falls, if you like, but mm-hmm. uh, instead of millions of tons of water uh, slowly cascading over the edge, it was millions of stars that were all sparkling and, Oh my God, that's gorgeous! Over. Yeah, it, it was. Gorgeous. It was just really. Yeah. it was beautiful, and uh, and I suddenly thought, "Wow, I'm not in a small darkened space at all, am I? I'm in the universe itself, and this is yeah. this is what it's like. This is this is the universe, and one part that uh, I've never seen <laughs> through <laughs> yeah. a you know a telescope or through TV, you know. Um, so I looked, I, I looked, and there were shooting stars just dropping down through the middle, and I looked. And as I looked down, it's like I, I felt like I was, the more that my, my eyes started to open, I could see from one galaxy into another. It was just going into infinity. And into, then I start to see beautiful nebulas and lovely colors as, as my gaze sort of, mm-hmm. sort of opened up. So, yeah, that was, that was a really spectacular and beautiful moment. Um, so I kind of, great. yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah. Uh, so I don't I, recommend I, uh, it for everybody, but it sounds great. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, I don't yeah. recommend it for everybody, but it's 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 a it's a hint of what is there for all of us mm-hmm. because uh, our time will come, all of us, uh, at right. one point when we right, will pass exactly. on. So, and um, 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 yeah, so th- there are there's, there's lots of beauties and and treasures waiting out there for us um, yeah. when that time comes. But anyway, I, I kind of thought about my family as I and I thought. 
Okay. No, I can't see them, but that's okay. They're, they're, I'm going to be seeing them soon, maybe. And even mm-hmm. if I don't, they're going to be, as I just said, that, yeah, they're going to be enjoying all these wonders that are right. on the other side. So, which is unusual for me because before that, I carried a lot of guilt and shame and anxiety, and that, that would have me been blaming myself to get on no, and getting over anxious about them. But I didn't. It, which was really strange. So I, I, I noted that point. I thought, oh, that's good. I'm not concerned about them in, in, a, in an irrational sort of sense, if it were, you know. Mm-hmm. So, that, I, so I laid back on, on this rock, and, and as time went on, uh, the energy that was coming through the, from the hands of the healers, it was like, I'd call it like a, an energy of, of love, basically, because it felt like I was just being filled with this love throughout my body. Like wow. unconditional love, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that energy suddenly—it's like somebody had turned a big dial, and it suddenly became a lot more intense. And I lifted my head to see what was going on, and then ahead of me, this was the, the, the most profound moment of the whole experience. Was um, this, this tunnel of white light that was closing in towards me, and it was a huge tunnel of of, of white light—the same white energy that I talked about in those three grids, uh, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could feel this energy of love coming from the center of that, of that tunnel. And the tunnel was surrounded by all these flames that were slowly uh, circulating around the edge of it. And uh, I was, uh, rather than fearing it or feeling any sense of, well, what's going on now, you know, I, I was just so excited by it. And I just thought, wow, this is, is remarkable. And uh, there was a lot of intuition going on there, you know, and, and, yeah. and I was just saying, okay, what I'm staring at now, what I'm feeling and experiencing is the source of all creation. You know, this, this is God. Uh, this is what I'm figuring is God. You know, this mm-hmm. is not, the, you know, the, the, the usual human form of God, you know, like, i.e. in Christianity, you know, with the long beard and, um, right. and what have you. Well, your guy it's, had it's, a contemporary T-shirt on. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. it. All these things aren't as, as we assume they're going to yeah. be, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know what? I want to take a break here. I hate to break this at all, but I have to take a break sure. here. And um, let's go to commercial. And, you know, and and when we come back, let's talk about how this basically death, first how you got back and how it changed you. So thanks. Come on back and we'll see you soon. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. One thing's for certain, life is uncertain. Do you navigate the unknowns? Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. 
Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, and we're back with David Ditchfield, who wrote Shine On, uh, his experience of being dragged under a moving train, dying coming back and coming back with fabulous talents, basically a whole new life. So I'm going to bring David back in to continue his amazing story. Thanks, uh, David. And I want to mention your book again, because I forgot to mention it at the beginning. It is Shine On, and it is available at all booksellers. So come on back yeah, in and tell sure. us the rest of what happened well after this. Well, really, I should say that I... I I'll, I'll bring you back to the hospital because it, mm-hmm. after that that moment, really of of, of seeing what, as I say, was what my what I felt was God. Um, I, that was an affirmation, a moment of affirmation there, that, and I I was suddenly rushed back into my pain body or back into the body in the hospital, I should say. Right. And uh, the pain you know, body, <laughs> yeah, the pain good way body, to yeah. put it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, the the lights were on overkill. You know, I couldn't bear the light then, and the sound was just too much. It felt like it was mm. brashing my ears, and it was like, oh wow, you know. And okay. the, the pain came rushing straight back through me, and uh, but you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, you must have been really disappointed to come back, but. I, I wasn't actually because mm-hmm. I was still filled with all this energy of joy and love that I just experienced on the other side and all the, the knowledge I was being given that it didn't matter, you know, because right. I was still really charged. And all I could think of was, wow, why did, what just happened? Why did they send me back? You know, what is mm-hmm. my mission is basically what I figured. Right. And before I knew it's like it, like a rejection being, in a way from God. <laughs> it wasn't. No, it as I say, it, it doesn't didn't feel, feel like a like rejection that. from God. It felt yeah. more like I'd actually been given an, an, a task, an opportunity mm-hmm. to sort of do something. Um, I thought I, I haven't, I can't come back empty-handed, yeah. you know, and just leave it at that. And uh, so, and that stayed with me, you know. Where I went in to uh, have the first operation, which which went on for about eight, eight hours, I think. And uh, they give me my own room in the hospital. So while I was in that room, I woke up and I got a lot to sort of think through. You know, first of all, you know, I had to deal with the horror of the accidents. Going under a train is horrific in itself. Right. To have to, the mind and the body to have to deal with. But all I could think about was this experience that I'd just been through and how was I going to tell, tell the world about it? Because I knew nothing about near-death experiences uh, at this point, I didn't even know they, exist- they existed. I was non-spiritual, you know, so I didn't follow any of those threads yeah. in my life. 
Um, and I, I was scared I was going to forget everything that had happened. I thought I've got to make sure that I somehow note this down. And I was too weak to be able to write anything or do anything. So I thought, right, I know what I'm going to do. When I get out of hospital and I'm well enough, I'm going to do a painting. I've done nothing like this before, but I thought I'm going to do a huge, it's got to be like a huge sort of Michelangelo uh, pre, you know, the mm-hmm. Renaissance style biblical painting, you know, a big dramatic thing. I thought right. that's what I'm going to do. And so my sister came in to visit me the first night and as she left, she said, is, is there anything I can get you? And I said, yeah, can you please get me a, a small sort of a, a sketch pad and, and a pencil? So she was surprised, but she got it. And I sketched, I got the nurses to prop me up in that bed and I did like a very rough sketch. It's very faint. I've still got it of, of wow. wanted to paint. And, and so, yeah, so it all started from there. I just kind of, um, once I was well enough to start figuring out how I was going to do that painting, I did. I started it, you know, several months later. And Is, uh, Do you have any explanation of that opening up to... Um, it, it to me, it's like an, an opening up to the whole universe, and taking this talent or that talent. Is that wrong? I mean, it's, how did this come in? Well, um, basically, that I feel the way it had come in was that when I was in that space, when I was in that realm, that. Time did, did not exist. You know, there was no mm-hmm. past. There was no future. It was just the here and now. It was the, the present moment. And I realized that being in that present moment was the best possible place I'd ever been in my life because I'd always carried a lot of worry about the, the past, past mistakes I'd made or right. I should have done this or should have done that. And then I constantly worried about the future, about where's my life going to go, you know. Yeah. Whereas in this realm, all that didn't exist. And I realized that I, it was important to carry that back with me into this mm-hmm. once I come back. And, and it's incredible because once you do that, once you take yourself into that space, it's, you're able to start realizing that you've got all these different things that are, that are hidden inside you, that all these tools that you could possibly use. Right. So that's how I see it, you know, um, because I also went on to write music as well for orchestra and that came along later. Mm-hmm. Um, but Before we get process. into that, though, I want to ask, and I, I brought this up to you off camera or, or off, you know, Mike sure. before. Um, I have heard uh, people have called this a walk-in. In other words, one spirit leaves the body and another spirit comes into the body. So you're not actually the same person, but you have the same body. And is there any chance that, that happened? And um, I'm not sure how you'd even know in a way. I mean, you know, I've not experienced this. But um, I hear people talk about it and they call it walk-ins another spirit has come into your body and your spirit has left. So have you ever heard of anything like that? I've, I've never heard of it at all, actually. Yeah. So I, it's something I need to process because I, anything, because I learned so many new things that come along and I need to process it for sure. Right. It sounds great right. and a really interesting uh, theory. Um, right. the, but the way I've, I've looked at it uh, up until this point is, is that um, my life before uh, all this happened, um, I look back on it and I was 
I, I avoided any, any sort of adversity that went, was going on in my life and I never dealt with it. I never stopped to deal with it. You know, I was just skimming the surface and so I was, mm-hmm. I was just living on a surface level. So I never really stopped um, to, to sort of... Kind of getting by. Reach. Yeah, I never, I never reached... I was never in touch with my higher consciousness, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, as I say, I had got no faith. I got, you know, I wasn't spiritual. Whereas now I am and I have and I've got faith and, and as I'm, I'm constantly in touch with my spirituality and my, and my guides and so I, I, I ask for help from them. So it's, um, you know, the contrast of, from the person I was before and what is now is quite remarkable. So, so you, you, you've raised a very interesting issue there for me to really think about. Right. And, so, yeah, and I, I don't know to- how you'd know that. I mean, if you are in love with the same people. Would to a different spirit not be in love with the same people? You know, not dislike them. I mean, just that chemistry not there. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. it's interesting because when I first came back from the whole experience, I was so filled with all this love that I, got, I was giving out love to everyone and all the people around me who had been in my life. I was giving extra love, if you like, and, yeah. my, my, yeah. and they noticed it as well. And and that stayed with me, and and it was only about six months on when I had to deal with legal issues, obviously to do with the actual incident. Uh, that I was thrown into this are- arena, which is a complete contrast. You know, the, we all know the legal system is very right, right. tough arena. You know, it's fierce. How dare you fall under a train? <laughs> Exactly, you know, you know but it, it, I was dissected. I was pulled yeah. all over the. I mean, right. and I just couldn't deal with that because I come from this place of love and and giving right. love to suddenly, yeah. you know, and 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 I actually hit, you know, again, I was, I, it was awful because I hit depression for a while, and I realised that I I was a lot more sensitive now than what I was before. Oh. So I had to, I had to really deal with that one, and uh, yeah, I had some therapy which helped me, you know. So right. I mean. You don't come back superhuman. You don't come back from a near-death experience, and you're suddenly like, "Hey, I'm this grounded guy now, yeah, and that's it. Life's fine for me," you know, because yeah. the world around me it's it's to do with the societies that we've all sort of cooked up for ourselves. Is mm-hmm. is is that's where the fight is, you know, and that, and and it's not necessarily that easy. But I'm a lot more geared up now than what I was then at that point because right. I realised that I had to. I couldn't just rely on this love that I brought back with me. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so tell me about, so your first thing was to make a sketch to try and capture what you yeah. had seen. And, exactly, and yeah. um, how did you go out and buy some paint and, you know, and also how did you start to compose music with no knowledge of music, m- music training? Well, in terms of the paints and stuff, I just grabbed. I got some acrylics because that's all mm-hmm. I saw on the shelf. It wasn't like I, this is what I need. I know what I need because I didn't know. Uh, right. I just thought I'm not. It was either that or oils, and I thought no, oil sounds far too professional. I'm not doing oil, <laughs> yeah, so I went yeah, for yeah. acrylics. <laughs> you were and, intimidated uh, yourself. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I still use acrylics now. I really like them, but um, uh, yeah. But with that and the music, I, I realized right from the off as soon as i started that very first painting that that wasn't just me that was actually putting the paints and the colors onto this canvas i was mm-hmm. being helped i was channeling ideas through from another source and right. uh, and that was that became very apparent very early on and so and that continues with with my work now um 
I mean, the music. And most... Okay, before we leave the painting, though, mm. when you are painting, do you emotionally or spiritually feel like you're stepping back and yeah, somebody else totally. is taking control? And do oh, most certainly. I, I, I'd yeah. literally, yeah, each day I'd be painting and, and I would just sort of stop for a break you know, as, as you do when you're painting to have a look at what you're doing. And I'd, I'd have to sit down and go, wow. Look wow, at that. that's amazing! You know, I <laughs> yeah. was just like astonished myself. I was, I was. It was like I was walking into a room and looking at an artist at work and going, "That's incredible! The way you're you're bringing out those colours in flesh tones, you know, and or what have you." So I was astonishing myself. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> it was, it was a, which was fantastic. It was really exciting. And but also, when you're it, painting, it was, are you conscious of okay? Let me mix these paints or. You know, like an artist, well, I'm guessing because I'm not an artist, but, you know, let me mix these paints or let me get this tone or, you know, the the mental part, or are you just doing? Well, we've, we've all got a basic knowledge of being able to do that if we put our minds to it, if we sit down and mm-hmm. do that. But uh, what it was more than just that, I remember, for example, one of the first things that I noticed was when I was, came to paint uh, flesh tones, of the of the angels and stuff that I'd seen and, and what have you, mm-hmm. that I wanted, I just didn't want one color, of, and that's the skin. Right. I was encouraged right. to put on different colors to bring out, uh, you know, more dimension. And you know, I was being brave, you might say. I was like putting on, I'd put blue on on a, onto a, a, onto a flesh tone and stuff like that, and it would yeah. work, and it would suddenly make it more, look more three dimensional. So there are all these different things that normally you would. You would go and and be trained to to try mm-hmm. all those different things right. to, to bring a painting alive. So yeah, um, you were being guided with try blue. Guided, yeah, <laughs> yeah I was just blue. exactly that. Yeah. So I was just being guided to bring the whole painting alive. And how did you get into the music? Yeah, well, that came about. I'd, I'd started uh, having spiritual healing. Um, uh, because I've, I, I wanted to find, I knew there was a spiritualist church nearby where I was recovering in near my sister's where I did recover. And I wanted to try and talk to them about my experience because I thought they'd know a bit about it. And they did. They were really helpful. And they said, we do spiritual healing here and you look pretty in a bad way, you know. <laughs> um, so I said, great. So I went along. Um, some of those healers are clairvoyant and they would give just very short messages at the end of uh, the sessions, you know, and just just things like they'd say, I would, I was, I'd see, you know, a shaft of white light coming through your chakras and stuff. And But then they started to say, a few of them, one after another, would say, why am I picking up a violin across your chest? Or I'm hearing music, Beethoven and Wagner, and I was going to have no idea because, I, you know, classical music didn't even enter right. my life until that point. And then one of them said, they're telling me that you're going to write a piece of music about your experience. I went, right, that's it. So I went home and pulled out this old uh, synthesizer out the loft and uh, yeah. all I got was a cassette recorder. And I just started to write. Uh, when I say write, I just played some notes uh, on it, one finger on the, on that keyboard, you know. And yeah. it suddenly developed into what – I didn't know where it was going to go. I thought it was going to be a song at first. And then it started to become a lot bigger. And I thought this is going to be – this should be played by orchestra. And I got that same ambition as I'd got in the, in the hospital about doing the Michelangelo style painting yeah and there was a lot of synchronicity was coming into my life all around this time right after the the nde and what um one of those moments of synchronicity was i'd met um a cello player who used to come and see me painting and she was quite spiritual and we used to meet for coffee and i told her about this new 
idea I got with this piece of music and she joked and said, oh, maybe our orchestra could perform it one day. Mm-hmm. And I thought, do you know what? Why not? So my brother gave me this um, sort of app that I could attach to my, to my laptop. And then he said, if you get a keyboard, you can buy it and then you can, you can the notes that you play that it will transform it into a musical. I was notation. just wondering, how did you give it to somebody to play? You know, not knowing music or not being able to. Well, that's yeah, that's how I did it. But it yeah. meant that I had to to start of also find more sounds than just I was just using this kind of cheap sort of string sound at the time. Then I thought, if this is an orchestra, they've got more instruments going on than just mm-hmm. just cellos and violins. And I used to start then I'd start hearing sounds. I was channeling through all horns and flutes and stuff. So I'd write those in. And the computer puts it into the right sort of um, key signature, as it's called, for the its individual instrument. Wow. Then I just got it printed up and said to my friend, would you have a look? So she said, yeah. And the orchestra looked at it and said, yeah, we'll perform it. This, this looks good. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, is concert... weird. that is weird. <laughs> that is weird. That not well, only it... did you produce this, but then you were given the orchestra to play this. Exactly. Really? Yeah. And it gets better because I knew that I was being helped not only with the, the musical side of it, but also with the promotional side, of it, if you like, to get people to come along. Because right. um, they said to me, oh, would you mind just saying a few lines, a few words to our local press about mm-hmm. your piece? I said, no. And when I spoke to the local press, I said, ha, ah, you're the guy who went under the train. And I, and I said, yeah. They said, <laughs> yeah. this is going on the front page. And I said, brilliant, yeah. you know. So from then on, the phone kept ringing. And then the sure. BBC got in touch and they said, we want to come and interview you and film you at the rehearsal. Is that okay? I said, yeah. So the concert sold out like two weeks in advance wow. because of the BBC coming along. You because know, you were the guy plans. under the train. <laughs> Exactly. They love yeah. the story, you see. And I was yeah. I was surprised. To me, everything was always a surprise. I was, to me, it mm-hmm. just seemed like, okay, I went under a train. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> so, which was lovely because it I, it's interesting because there was no sense of like an ego lift for me. It was more uh-huh. like, great, this means that the more people who can come along and, and hear what happened. You can share the, it. Yeah. can share it. And they did. Yeah. The atmosphere was just amazing that night at that premiere. It was just beautiful, you know. Wow. And uh, it finished. I was sat on the front row with my family, which is amazing. It was just like hearing what I'd written on this little cheap synthesizer being played by an orchestra. It's like a three-dimensional sort of stereo Was that system. the first time you heard? When did you first hear an orchestra play your music? And, and what did you... What was your reaction when you heard them, not from the cheap synthesizer, but a whole full orchestra play? Well, yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd been along to uh, the rehearsals, just one or two of them. I didn't go all the time because, you you know, you just leave them to it. You just go and in and stuff. So the first one was, I was very frightened, to be honest with you, about that because I just thought, I don't even know whether I've got this right or whether I've pulled it out right. of the bag or not, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just stood there, and I remember the conductor's baton just coming down on on the on the opening first movement, which is a very sort of serene sort of um, thing, which is the very first part that I wrote, you know, on this cheap synthesizer. And when it happened, I thought, "Wow, I've nailed it! It's just it's worked, and this is like better than what I imagined." And wow. this is exactly how I heard it in my head that that first time, and here it is being played by an orchestra. So. So yeah, so that is amazing it to come is amazing. from no background of music and to be able to, first of all, to hear it, but to reproduce it—that is yeah. quite amazing. 
Yeah. It, it, it is. And even the conductor of the orchestra, who's classically trained, said, I would never have even attempted to write something like this myself. And I really? said, really? I thought you would written loads by now. He said, no, you just don't. It's just, it's a huge task you've taken on. But it wow. didn't seem like it at the time. Because again, just like the paintings, I was being guided and, and, and it just it felt just like flowed. an part of the journey and it flowed, yeah. yeah. There was hardly any, it was a labour of love, as they say, you know, there was, there was hardly any sort of like nail-biting, ah, how do I get past this section, you know. It, it, yeah, there were a few, of course, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, it was a very smooth journey. And right. um, again, a lot of synchronicity made that all come together. So now a- you are a composer, a painter, um, do you play any instruments you don't, do you? No, and I the don't. the synthesizer on the computer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I used to play guitar, but very basically, and I was a, what you'd call a three-chord wonder, you know, and I was mm-hmm. self-taught. And, you know, I, I joined a couple of bands where I was thrashing out, you know, those three-chord, but, but right. I'm definitely not, you know, um, trained in that way. So I don't play any instruments at all, but it, it's fine because... My, I feel that my, you know, my job is just to keep writing and creating. So I use the keyboard literally as a, a as a, as a tool to be able to write, rather than, you know, I, I wouldn't, for example, turn around and turn up at a and play anything, an instrument at all at any of, mm-hmm. of, of the performances of my pieces. I, I, I couldn't read. I can't read music. I wouldn't be able to even read my own part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or or play it. You couldn't pick up a violin and play it. Mm-mm. You can't do. No, that. I can't. Yeah. I can't. I wouldn't be able because my left arm also got really badly injured. I, I mean, I can't play guitar anymore even. So yeah. So yeah. yeah, I'm I'm limited to just using my right hand, and I use that right hand for just playing those one or two notes on that on that keyboard. But, that is. So what? Would you say happened over there? Would you say that your restrictions just got blown open and and you had access to all the love and art and um, do we all cut ourselves off from this and have it in us or did you we acquire do. something new? Well, if these if are big questions, it, I apologize. No, don't worry about it. I, I, I prefer big questions on it because it's a big subject and it, mm-hmm. I try to answer as best as I can. But if you look back over the past 18 months, you know, with the pandemic, I don't know about in the US, but certainly in the UK, at the very beginning, when people were forced into lockdown, yeah. um, many people were starting to find new creative gifts. You know, people were. Yeah starting to to bake cakes and they'd never done that before in their life and bake their own bread and people were becoming were painting and becoming and becoming more creative that way also and teaching their kids they'd never done that so Mm -hmm. if you think about that with everyone was forced into that situation where they had to stop and do that because they got the time they weren't they weren't in the rat rat race of saying right get the kids to school and then get yourself off to the office you know they were and so it's very similar process. I, do, I think this is why I say to people, you don't have to go through a huge accident like me or a near-death experience to, to be able to stop and, and realize that you've got these abilities. I'm not saying that we're all budding artists or musicians, but we've got other gifts that are probably within us that we didn't realize were there. You know, you, you hear these stories all the time where you get these, these uh, you know, multimillionaires who suddenly turn around and say, I've, 
I had enough of the, of the stock market and I wanted to get out of it. So I, I'd moved out, you know, to uh, wherever and bought a farm, raised a farm. Yeah. And now I'm a, a successful farmer. I knew nothing about it. I before. thought that was it's burnout myself. <laughs> I thought that was straight out burnout. <laughs> but, I, I know, yeah. but ultimately those people are finding their true authentic selves, mm-hmm. you know, because in that environment they were in, it's, 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 okay, they were successful at it and they were and they were very skilled at what they were doing. But a lot of, a lot of people in the education system, they leave school, you know, and then they say, okay, you're good at maths. And so you go to university, you get a degree in mathematics. Okay, you've got a degree in mathematics. Okay, now you're going to go and work in the city, in the stock market. They might not even be one wanting to be, I'm going back to the stock market, but I'm using it as, as, a, as right, an example. Right. They might not really want to, to do that. It's just that that's where they're being led. And by, that's all their head. It's almost like yeah. the rest of their life stops and they yeah, go into exactly. their head to... Yeah. Um, one thing I want to get to quickly, too, is your whole life obviously changed. Sure. What about all the your friends <laughs> before yeah. this? Ha- you know, I mean, you're, you're a totally different person, really. No, I know. Yeah. I, I, I think for a few of my friends, uh, it took a bit of adjusting. Uh, <laughs> they stayed you know, with you, when- though, huh? <laughs> Well, especially when they'd seen me, for example, some of the guys, you know, that I, that I worked with on the construction sites and I used to hang out in, in the local pubs and bars, you know, because right. that's where that's where we where we got all our trade, you know. Mm-hmm. And when I'd gone from that environment to suddenly, you know, doing paintings and... Uh, right. And, because that's a very, you know, especially the music. I mean, classical music is, is, is you know, it's, it's a different arena. Again, it's like, it's, it's kind of like it's a highly educated middle-class background, whereas where I come from was nothing like that. So for them, you know, they, a few, well, most of my friends came to the concert and they were kind of going, wow, this is like, you know, you're writing music for orchestra. This is like kind of really right. bizarre, but they supported yeah. me, you know. Yeah. But, you know, so I, but I never got to the stage where I suddenly felt, although these people don't fit into my life anymore. There was never any of that, you know, because mm-hmm. I loved them and I loved them more actually, you know, because I yeah, could okay. see so much yeah. more through of all that. But, yeah. but like all of us, you know, we, life, evolves and we don't always stay with the same set of friends throughout mm-hmm. you know but yeah we move on and keep in touch yeah. and they were very supportive of where you know i want to i want to keep going for another hour but i'm not allowed to <laughs> so and i want everybody to know where they can get hold of you and where they can get your book and um you know so if you'll tell us sure know. well i guess the best starting point is to go to my website which is called uh, shineonthestory.com and if you go there, you can you can look and at again, the paintings. Your book you can is shine on. Yeah, the book is called yeah. Shine On, and that's you, you, that's available throughout the world uh, on on Amazon, and you mm-hmm. know, and it's 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 been really well received. So there's lots of great reviews that you'll be able to read for that if you right. if you're right. interested. And you know, if it's you're a not sure, story. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's I'm amazed at how well it's being received. It's great, and mm-hmm. uh, um, but um, so yeah, and if you want to. Th- Follow me on social media as well. You can see what's happening with with my story and you know different things okay. that I'm doing. And but if you'll find all those like Instagram and YouTube channel and all those different things, Facebook, on again, your website. website. Yeah. So shineonthestory.com. And, and do you everything. have your music on YouTube? Could I go listen to your music? Well, basically, yeah. I mean, what's happening is is um, I've I'm streaming the, the first 
well, the three movements of my very first piece, The Divine Light, which is about my near-death experience. So you can listen to that for free on my website. So, so you can stream that and have a listen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in the process of actually writing a, a new symphony now. So there's new music, music that's going to be coming out um, this, sometime wow. this year. So, mm-hmm. but, I, but again, if you follow my social media, then you'll be able to see all right. different things because I'm very, you know, I, I, I love the idea of being able to just, you know, talk about and, and advertise what's happening next right. on there. Yeah. That's fabulous. Listen, thank you so much for being on. Your story is amazing. And to, to I think, gives us all hope that we can, as you said, pivot and go into the rest of our lives, into the rest of ourselves and discover new things. You don't exactly. have to go under train to do it. <laughs> you don't, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. David, thank you. <laughs> thank <laughs> right. you. Thank you. So thank much, you yeah. so much for being on the show. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.